Hello and welcome to the We Are Geeks, a Nightmare on Elm Street podcast from wearetessellate.com, where every Friday we will be covering a new installment in the classic horror franchise. Warning, this podcast contains strong language and spoilers throughout. The We Are Geeks podcast series is published by We Are Tessellate, and it is a completely independent podcast series. We Are Geeks is not affiliated with any of the rights holders of the films referenced, and no infringement is intended. Come to Freddy. Let's kick the motherfucker's ass all over dreamland. <laughs> Geeks! Geeks! Hello and welcome to episode three of Geeks <laughs> on a special A Nightmare on Elm Street franchise retrospective. We're on A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Colon Dream Warriors, released in 1987. Joining me on this journey, Alexander Chad. Namaste. And I'm your host, Al White. Um, so, here we are. Part three in the trilogy, yeah? It ended here. This was the, this this is the, the final, yeah. It wrapped up. All wraps up nicely. Yeah. <laughs> um, Dream Warriors made in 1987, which is two years? Two years after, after number two, number Freddy's two. Revenge, yeah. It's had a little year break, unlike the Jason films that were coming out yearly. Um, this was directed by Chuck Russell, who would later on go to direct the Blob remake, which is a bit of a fan favorite. Oh, wow. Um, I remember seeing the Blob when I was a kid. Yeah? That version of the Blob, good. not the... It's, it's kind of like people think of it like John Carpenter's The Thing Remake. It's certainly not as good as The Thing Remake, but it's it's got a great schlocky vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he then went on to direct The Mask. As in the Jim Carrey film? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Eraser. Cool. Remember that? Yep. The uh, Arnie film. Mm-hmm. Bless the Child, The Scorpion King. Wow, that was a favorite. Um, and an episode of Fringe. <laughs> you know, there's like four or five Scorpion King films. Yeah, there are, aren't there? It's yeah. its own little sub mm-hmm. like franchise. You saying you want to cover the Scorpion King? I, I think that should be our next retrospective. All right, whatever you want, man. Okay. Well, we're a dem- we're a democracy here. Good. Fifty percent Scorpion so, King. Yeah, so. I'm inclined to go with you. Yeah, you have to. Um, so written well. Let's go. Starring, what a cast for this for this one. Eh? Heather Langenkamp. Like the last one, we didn't know anyone. This time we got the return of Heather Langenkamp as Nancy Thompson. We have Patricia Arquette as Kristen Parker. Robert Englund, of course, as Freddy Krueger. And then, of course, Lawrence Fishburne as Max. The yeah. uh, what do you call those people? He's not uh, a nurse, technically, is he? He's uh, a what's he called? Not a carer. Night. I don't know. Doesn't he say night? He's, nurse? A, he's, he's yeah. Takes. He's kind of like uh, I don't know. <laughs> he works at the. Psych he works ward. at the psych ward. Yeah. Um, you had the return of John Saxon um, as as Nancy's father yet again, and then a bunch of other faces that you might know from other things. Um, but I don't, I I can't tell anymore if I just know them from this mm-hmm. or if I know them from other things. If you know what I mean. Did you recognize anyone else? Uh, no, okay. I didn't. <laughs> so the screenplay for this one it says here if you look on IMDb it says story by Wes Craven and Bruce Wagner and then there's a screenplay by Wes Craven Bruce Wagner Frank Darabont there's a name that might Frank Darabont some people might know and Chuck Russell uh, based on characters by Wes Craven so we're gonna we have some bits of trivia that we normally sort of you know plunge into throughout our chit chat um, but I'm gonna do some of them now because they're not story contextual well they are story contextual but they're about the writers so from the, we said the last film they didn't go back to Wes Craven they didn't ask him to participate this one they did um, as would become the custom with every Nightmare on Elm Street from this one onwards New Line would always ask Craven if he was interested in coming back uh, he wasn't available to direct this one because he's in the middle of pre-production on a film called Deadly Friend which you seen that? I've never heard of no, <laughs> um, but he did take New Line up on their offer to write it officially co-writing Elm Street 3 script with his writing partner Bruce Wagner he said his reason for returning was mostly financial. Quote, it was important for me in a business sense that I was able to negotiate a percentage point in the sequels I didn't have from the original film. End quote. So he was clearly still bitter about the fact that, you know, he had, he had been cut out of what was going to be a huge franchise, make tons of money, wasn't doing the stuff he wanted it to do. So he wanted a little bit more creative control of it. And obviously to be making, if they're going to make money off of his franchise, they should be paying him something. Well paid. Oh, well played. Um, well paid, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> um, as we will definitely get into later. What most people don't know is, so later on, and no spoilers here for what we're going to be delving into in number seven, but that was Wes Craven returned to direct Freddy 7, which is Wes Craven's new nightmare. 
Um, and that one is a very, nowadays you call it meta, I guess, but at the time it was postmodern. I'm not really sure when that term changed. Um, but anyway, <laughs> at that point, it was definitely a postmodern film. Um, and it was incredibly ahead of its time, love it or hate it. It came out before he made Scream. Um, and it was very self-acknowledging. All of the characters, play, all the actors played themselves in mm-hmm. real life. And Freddy was trying to come into real life. What people don't, well, most people don't know, is that he had actually come up with that idea for this film originally. He pitched that as an idea for this movie. Well, for the third one. Mm. Interesting. Um, but it was, yeah, his original pitch based of Freddy invading the real world and haunting the actors and crew responsible for the Nightmare on Elm Street films. But New Line wasn't ready for that at this point in 1987 but you imagine like how ahead of its time it was in 1995 no 94 was it yeah i mean that is a crazy idea it's sort of like you know it's obviously partially the concept of the second one of freddy coming to the real yeah. world but then to flip it further it's it's it. actors and yeah yep. that's fucking cool um but yeah for, for him to come up with this early i didn't know that until i looked it up um then we have quite a long thing that happened with the writing of this i'm going to try and boil it down as much as i can but essentially craven and bruce wagner created the concept for dream warriors um and all of the primary characters in the film Uh, but new line wasn't happy with it as craven later explained i took an executive producing credit my understanding was that i would be asked about things all along i would brought into casting and i would have a real creative part in the picture but the reality was that new line cinema never really contacted me again after they had the script they changed it drastically the director, Chuck Russell, and a friend of his, Frank Darabont, rewrote it and changed the names of all the characters and included many key scenes of their own. Now, depending on who you talk to, some people say 70% of this film is changed from how it was originally intended from Wes Craven's um, draft. Um, so, Wagner and Craven's original version of this film centered around Nancy's search for her father, who had become obsessed with finding and burning Freddy Krueger's birth home after the bastard killed his wife at the end of the first film. At the same time, teenagers were being compelled to travel to Freddy's birth home as well and commit suicide, with dreams of Freddy being the common link between the victims. All of the teenagers at the Western Hall Psychiatric Hospital would only be there because they were among the few whose suicide attempts had failed. While searching for her father, Nancy happens upon Western Hall and forms an instant bond with the troubled patients, diffusing an out-of-control Kristen by finishing the Freddy nursery rhyme. This is a scene which is completely unchanged in the final film. And then the beleaguered hospital staff hire Nancy on as an assistant. However, the script apparently was too dark. Nancy's father cuts off his own eyelids in front of her during the opening dream sequence. Which is now... Yeah, they mention it. Uh, But not as the father, but as, as something that happened. Um, and apparently it was very profane. Freddy threatens to shit on Nancy's corpse. Wait, um, sorry, can you repeat that bit? Freddy threatens to shit on oh, Nancy's okay. corpse. Wow. Uh, or poop. <laughs> if it's too profane or something. <laughs> yeah. um, and apparently... I'll poop on your corpse. <laughs> he wanted the Freddy snake to appear twice in the first 34 pages. Um, and there was absolutely no limit to Freddy's powers. Um, yeah, and, and the focus on the suicidal teenagers just seemed there to court controversy, apparently, from what I'm reading. So Russell and Darabont came along. They turned African-American characters Caucasian. They put one character into a wheelchair, had Kristen stay in the institution for the whole story rather than leave halfway through, and they spared several characters, including Joey and Kincaid, that Craven and Wagner had originally killed in their script. Uh, Nancy's backstory was unchanged. Sorry, was completely changed, um, obviously. She is not searching for her father. Um, but you can actually read, if you're interested, Wes Craven and Wagner's first draft, as well as the eventual script on NightmareOnElmStreetFilms.com. Oh, that's cool. Um, so, Frank Darabont, there who he is. was one of the writers, most people know he was director of Shawshank Redemption, Green Mile. He's recently the guy who, who built up The Walking Dead for many years and then left after the second series, I think halfway through the second series. Um, and oh, and he also wrote The Blob, I didn't realize that. Uh, and the fly too. And the fly too. Um, but yeah, he's only directed the Shawshank Redemption, the Green Mile, the Majestic, and the Mist as movies. Uh, all Stephen King films, other than um, other than the Majestic. Yeah. Anyway, so some real star power with the actors. Wes Craven back in some form, even mm-hmm. though they they clearly fucked with his script a lot. Um, and then the guy who's fucking with you got Chuck Russell. He's directed some good films. And Frank Darabont as a writer as well. Mm-hmm. He got a good pedigree on oh, this yeah. film. The biggest pedigree by far that the series has seen. Um, 
So, Alex, where do you, we start? You got you you got your what you wanted back. You got Nancy. I got Nancy back. So let's do this. The the brief summary. Brief summary. We start off. We're with Patricia Arquette. Um, she is having dreams about um, a house, which is Nancy's house, and she's making it out of paper mache. Wonderful title this time as well, I might add, before we start. Do you like the title sequence? Like the title, uh, <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street, although the Dream Warriors bit looked a bit Yeah, looked dated. a little bit fake. Um, if she's having dreams, her mother doesn't care. She then tries to kill herself, but she doesn't. Freddie obviously slits her wrists, but her mum thinks she's trying to kill herself. Thus the suicide, I guess, tendencies mm-hmm. from the original... Ripped. Can't speak. Oh, she gets sent to Weston. Uh, what's it called? Weston. Westwood. No, no, it's called Weston. It's a psychiatric home. I've got it written down here somewhere. I wrote down too many notes on this film, so it's very hard to find things. Um, but she gets sent to Weston something, a psychiatric ward, uh, where there are a bunch of kids who are all finding it hard to uh, Weston Hills. Uh, they're all finding it. Uh, hard to go to sleep because they're terrified of their dreams. Um, and there are a couple of doctors, a uh, nurse who reminds me a little bit of the one out of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, albeit not quite as mean. And then a male doctor called... Neil something. Neil, yeah. Yeah. Hang on. Too many notes, man. I've got too there many notes. There are lots notes. of notes. Very impressive. I apologize. Well, it's not impressive when I can't look through them and find <laughs> the things <laughs> that I need to find. So that's what IMDB... Is here for Neil Gordon, there played by Craig Wasson. Um, he's more sympathetic. They draft in Heather Langkamp because they don't know what to do with these kids. She's like an intern. Yeah, essentially, but someone who's had great, um, a, g- a good recent history of helping kids out in these problems. Um, the doctor finds out she's addicted to hypnosil or taking hypnosil, which is a, a dream suppressant. Um, and she she kind of goes undercover for a bit. She doesn't tell them about Freddie because she knows no one will believe her. But she's sort of trying to help the kids undercover and then eventually decides through dating the doctor, I guess, that he is trustworthy and explains to him about Freddie. He goes along for the ride quite willingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, they try, they find out that Kristen used to have a power where she could bring her father into her dreams. So they try to basically use that against Freddie to bring all these kids into the dreams together so they can help each other out. Um, they then establish that each of them has a dream power which essentially makes them like a comic book character so they can fight back against Freddy. Um, meanwhile, they also realize there's a weird mysterious nun who keeps talking to the doctor um, and tells him that she tells him a bit more about the history of Freddy, tells him that he was the bastard son of a hundred maniacs, which became a kind of good catchphrase for Freddy from here on out, that his mother worked at a... Uh, on the grounds of the... Yeah, on the grounds of psychiatric ward, but in a different branch that's now been closed off since the 1940s. She was locked in there over a holidays, not even mm-hmm. a night, a yeah. holidays, and was raped hundreds and hundreds of times and gave birth to Freddie. During that, no one then actually found Freddie, apparently. Um, so what happened to him and who raised him, we still don't know yet. Um, and then she tells the doctor that in order to put the spirit at rest, you have to find his remains and bury them on hallowed ground. So they go looking for the only person who knows where Freddie's bones are, which is John Saxon. Uh, Nancy's father uh, he then leads the doctor to a uh, junkyard mm-hmm. where they buried the bones in a Cadillac <laughs> the trunk of a Cadillac <laughs> um, to yeah bury the bones of Freddy meanwhile all the kids are in a, like getting picked off one by one they all join up forces to try and take down Freddy in the dream Freddy looks like he's about to kill them all but then he gets brought into the real life sort of by the sort fact of. that they're burying his bones he yep. possesses some of the cars in the junkyard turns into and a sort of Clash of the Titans style, um, what do you call it? Stop motion animated skeleton. Skeleton. He like reanimates his skeleton. Yeah. Kills Nancy's father. The doctor, uh, but then, then... Um, Knocks out the do? doctor, throws him in the pit. Oh yeah. And then and sort of does a victory dance and then yeah. dissolves back into the dream. <laughs> He's about to kill all the kids, but then the doctor's still alive. He's brought a bottle of holy water with him. He sprinkles it on the bones, says some funeral rites, and then Freddy disappears in some white light. Um, and then reappears as Nancy's dead father in the dream. No, that was before. Oh, was that the other way around? Yeah. Oh, so yeah, yeah. Sorry. He pulls them into the mirror. Uh, Joey, who is like the mute, yes. suddenly screams. screams, no, which breaks that spell. And he discovers his 
dream superpower is speech. Yeah. <laughs> you can scream really loud. Uh, and then Freddy, uh, Nancy's dad appears and says that he's crossed over to the other side, hugs Nancy, but turns into Freddy yep, and sorry. stabs her in the um, stomach. And then a doctor yeah, uses, wakes, up. wakes up, uses the holy water in real life, puts it on the bones. Freddy dissolves, but Nancy's already dead by that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you cut to the doctor going to sleep. He has a little paper mache house that we saw Patricia Arquette making at the beginning, which is the model of Nancy's house on Elm Street. And a window light turns on inside the little model mm-hmm. and end credits. No funeral. Is that first? Oh, just before, before that. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I'm, really, I'm messing this up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just before that, he's, he's at the funeral for Nancy and finds out that the nun, uh, he follows the nun to a gravestone where she disappears and he finds out that the nun was actually Freddie's mother the whole time. Mm-hmm. Who had two names for some reason? She had a holy nun name and a non-holy a, her slutty <laughs> name. <laughs> yeah, it was just kind of strange. Uh, confusing. There you go. That's a rough plot. Certainly more convoluted than the last one. Mm-hmm. A lot more going on. A lot of characters. So I was trying to make notes on this film as we're watching. I was like, "Fucking hell!" There's so many characters. I can't remember their names. It's gonna yeah. be hard when we talk about this movie to know who we're talking about. So we may just allude, we like. Yeah, I mean, I don't. People. I definitely don't. Rem- I remember Kincaid because of his funny voice. Yeah. I remember the characters. I just don't really know their names. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I'm sure we'll identify them how we want to. Um. So, Alex, blow by blow. I saw. Yeah, like so from the beginning, we get um, Patricia waking up. Mm-hmm. Um. Sorry, not waking up. Uh, making a little house, and then yeah. she goes to sleep. <laughs> was a good pregnant pause for a second. Yeah, was like, uh, I, was tra- I was trying to remember exactly what the first thing that happens to her because she there's the oh the, she's outside Nancy's house. She realizes this house in her dream is her paper mache house. Yeah, and there are some kids outside singing there. the Freddie song. Yeah, singing the Freddie song, and then the one of the kids turns to her and says, "This is where he takes us." Yeah, when she she follows her into the house and down into the basement, and then she's by the furnace, and the little girl on the tricycle says, "This is where she takes us." Um, at which point the little girl sort of looks up and behind Patricia Arquette and Freddie's there. You get, well, so the first thing, I think the first time you see Freddie is his shadow mm. actually, which was kind of cool. Yeah, it was um, really cool. And then Arquette gets the gooey stairs that we had in Nightmare 1 when, mm-hmm. where she can't run because just like you get a lot of dreams where you can't run, like you think you can run. Um, and then she realizes that the little kid, well, she walks into a room full of hang, hung teenagers, mm-hmm. which I didn't know if those were meant to be from the first film and the second film because he hasn't killed teenagers when he was alive yeah that's that's what i was thinking if they were if the men would be from the the first two films yeah i presume they are that's like where he keeps just the Mm. teenagers in that room um and then she looks down and realizes this little kid's actually become a skeleton um i I, I saw you on the couch going you seemed into that you prefer that to the bus in the desert of two well the thing was like the the part that i really enjoyed about the start was before we even get to British Arcade, you have the, the new line, uh, the new, line, new sit, line logo, new, new line logo come up. Um, and then you had the sort of little organ bit start. Mm-hmm. And already I was like, cool, the soundtrack's like, it wasn't perfect, it wasn't as good as one, but there were bits that, um, thematically fit with like the first one and the feel I felt. And the way the score started, and then the red title of Nightmare on Elm Street. I was like, great. For me, it, it felt like it was grounding it straight away and making it feel, I don't know, My the f- first thing I thought was they're making it feel more adult mm-hmm. compared to the last one. Like, okay, it's, it's still about teenagers, but I don't know, it felt more kind of grounded immediately from the get-go. So I was like really invested in that whole start and and... Yeah, and then the soundtrack and the and the way they sort of built it up and, um, yeah. Well, actually, the first thing you get on screen is that quote from Edgar Allan Poe. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about which that. Which was "Sleep, those little slices of death, how I loathe them." I guarantee this was in the Wes Craven script because that's exactly the yeah. kind of thing he'd do. He's very well read, man. Again, and that for me was just like cool. Like, it was it set it up straight away, like the the tone and feel of yep. how it was going to be. I think it's a very classy way. Obviously, you know, it's it's kind of cliche by this point to open your films like that, but mm-hmm. I think it's for a classy way to do it. I think it's a good statement coming off the back of the last film, which was a bit of a retread and a mess at the same time. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned the music. The music in this one 
it's a different person again. It's Angelo Badalamenti. So most people know him as as um, David Lynch's composer. Wow. Okay. Um, so he did all Twin Peaks. He's doing the new Twin Peaks. I can as definitely well. see that now. Mulholland Drive, Lost Highway, and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I just found <laughs> out when I looked him up. Um, I'm actually big. I'm a big fan of Angelo Badalamenti in the right places. Mm-hmm. This film, I definitely went back and forth on him. There were points where I actually thought the music was horrible and Agreed. very misjudged. And then other places where it, it kind of worked in yep. a David Lynch sort of way. Um, but yeah, let's move into the real meat of this, which is where Nancy comes back. Mm-hmm. So how do you feel? You said last, at the end of last episode, you said, what I want is Nancy back in the picture. Is this the Nancy story you wanted to see? You know what? I... Yeah, it is actually, because I, I feel that it, it, I, th- I feel that it would have been a bit too samey or a bit predictable if we truly just revisited her story um, and her and kind of her... I, I like that she was revisiting her own nightmare through these, these other kids. Um, so I really like that. I really... The sort of whole like intern thing was a bit of a stretch, I thought, of like her sort of because she still looked too young to kind of mm-hmm. had all. But this she's got shoulder studying. pads. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, um, but I, but I, I, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that she could bring her experience into what these kids are experiencing, but still meet all these obstacles of like people not believing her. Um, so yeah, I, I liked it. Yeah. Okay. How about you? So at the beginning, I mean, I've seen this movie a bunch of times. I haven't seen it in a long time. So it was kind of fun to go back to it. Um, as we were watching it, I remembered all of it bit by bit. But it's it's weird because this is, you know, known as one of... This is a lot of people's favorite nightmare film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand why it is. I really wanted Nancy to come back, but I didn't have to have her come back. You know, I was happy yeah. seeing new people's stories. A lot of people I know are very anti Heather Langkamp, and I've already always stood up for her. I've always been, you know what? She's not the best actress in the world, but I really enjoy her for what she does, and I think mm-hmm. she's, you know, has a good, just soul to her that yeah. I enjoy watching her in these films. And I, we, you know, obviously watched the first one just a couple of weeks ago. Really, I still think she's great in that movie. You know, yeah. um, sure, she's a very soft, mousy character, but I think she does that really well. She really doesn't work for me in this movie. Coming back to it now, um, she's some of the just some of her lines of dialogue with other people is really stiff, really awful. There's a bit at the end where she's talking to Lawrence Fishburne and she's trying to convince him to go and you know say goodbye yeah, to yeah. people, and he's just so natural and effortless, and she's just stumbling through yeah, everything. Yeah. It's so awkward. And I don't know if it's just I was happy with her playing a girl, but her playing a woman, I just don't buy at all. I don't think she's good enough an actress to pull, to pull off that sort of powerful role. Yeah, absolutely. And I, that's why I think it felt like a bit of a stretch for me because yeah. she didn't convince as that type of character. And and it sort of felt halfway. Like not, And that's not just her fault. Like it felt... It's like, do we make her one of the kids or do we yeah. have her as this kind of like... She's relatable to both sides, yeah. which I get that, you know, if you had a good enough actress, I think that would work pretty mm. well. Relatable to the doctors, but also relatable to the kids in there. But she just, she was, she was making me cringe. Because then also when she was out with the doctor colleague, she was like, do you see you like romantically interested in her? <laughs> yeah. But then it was like, but she's a young It's appropriate girl. or not. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't really tell. But if we're going by, I mean, we don't know. There's no correlation between this one and the, the second one. Yeah. We know the second one was five years later. So it's very hard to tell when this is set because I don't think anyone mentions a date at any point or I don't think she says how long ago things happened. She just says, Freddie killed a bunch of my friends before. So, yeah. I mean, technically, this could take place before the second one, I guess. Um, it's hard to tell. So it's hard to tell how old she's meant to be. Mm-hmm. But I'm guessing she's now in her sort of, you know, she's 23 or 24 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so... <laughs> The places this this film goes. Uh, the first time we get way more imaginative with the dreamscapes with this one, but unlike the second one where we had the sort of matte paintings and CGI, you know, electricity and lighting, uh, which you do get in this with some magic later on in the film, but they do at least try and go practical. Yep, a lot with this movie. I think the first real thing we see is penis ready, uh, where he's swallowing Patricia Arquette. 
That's right, yeah. Uh, that's one of the first proper like effects <laughs> yeah, that we yeah. see. Um, as we said, where's Craven right in it's Snake Freddy? But it's definitely Penis Freddy, and there's some great... If you Google it, there's some photos online when they made it, and it was way too pink. <laughs> and <laughs> they panicked at the last minute and realized it looked so much like a penis, they didn't know what to do. So they just kept... They just basically like try to mat it out make it greener and bluer and and then put like this green goop all over it so it looked less like a penis uh, but there's great photos of Patricia Arquette like half in its mouth looking at the camera like we all know what's going on here <laughs> with his big pink penis just swallowing <laughs> um so Alex how are you feeling we said in the last one we kind of in, well I said anyway and I think you agreed that with the first nightmare it's lack of budget made it had to be more creative mm-hmm. with the nightmares. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of scope for where you could go with nightmares. But we were kind of particular about when they were too cheesy yeah. and when they were doing it in the right sort of way. How did you feel like by the time we get to this and you got penis ready attacking people? Um, I mean, I appreciated the return to um, the use of like practical effects um, and, and seeing actual sets and then seeing bits you know real things explode and break down and um so i really appreciated that for me um they really they really pushed the kind of limits of that creativity and also the freedom of what you were talking about of of what you can do in the dream world however in saying that and you know reflecting on like the the penis freddy and some other parts it I can already start to see now the progression of like cartoonishness coming into it. Um, But it's still quite finely balanced in here where I still kind of like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, well, let's just jump to a bunch of the kills. And I mean, even if they're not kills, but some of those practical dream Mm -hmm. effects, you got a penis ready. Yeah. I'm glad that's catching on. Let's just keep saying it. (laughs) Um, You have the uh, tendon puppetry yeah so freddy becomes like a a stop motion again um seems genuine stop motion as well in both Mm -hmm. of those effects puppet walks across the floor i didn't understand this scene because he becomes we see him as the audience the puppet becomes freddy unties itself walks across the floor then by the time the kid sees freddy he's become real freddy Mm -hmm. so like what did he do that little bit for because it wasn't to terrify the kid because the kid wasn't watching that was just for freddy's own amusement was to become puppet freddy yeah (laughs) Becomes real Freddy, and then he cuts the kid's hands and feet and pulls tendrils up, uh, tendrils, sorry, tendons up yep. into the air, uh, makes him commit suicide by jumping off of, well, we now know the closed off part, I guess, of the psychiatric ward. Mm-hmm. Um, and Freddy's basically puppeteering him. Um, we also had the TV Freddy, where his head comes out the top and he's got the sort of antennae <laughs> yeah, yeah. on the top of his and head. And the like robot sort of hand claws that pick yep. up. Uh, we have Freddy with all of his souls in his chest, um, all these faces that are mm-hmm. screaming. Um, what else do we have? What am I forgetting? Uh, we have the nurse. Oh, yes. Uh, where he tongue, literally tongue ties the young yep. boy to the bed. And then says the line, feeling tongue tied. Mm-hmm. And then we had a few classic Freddy kills of the one arm lift. Yeah. Chokehold to the yeah, yeah. stab. No dreamscape stuff there, though. Um, yeah, the tongue, the tongue, the tongue one where he ties up the kid who can't speak. Um, that's a the first time we get Elm Street boobs. The first yep. time there are any nudity from a female in any of the Nightmare on Elm Street films is by Part Three, which for a slasher series is pretty, pretty great. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also yeah, you should Google this as well because originally they wanted her to have Freddy's face while her boobs were out. Brilliant. <laughs> so there are these photos you can see of them on on set when they have. Yeah, her dressed up in Freddy makeup and stuff, but it just looked too weird in the end of the day. They couldn't do it, so they just they just used her as she was. They should have made her boobs Freddy faces. Freddy face boobs. <laughs> That'd be great. Oh, and then of course you have the uh, his his claws become uh, needles. Oh yeah. For the ex junkie girl. Yeah. And her arm where the needle ho- um, holes were become these little terrifying little mouths that are yeah. kind of like desperate. They're like little baby mouths looking for the needles oh. to go into them. I think that's most of them isn't yeah it? i think that covers it so how are you feeling about all those like were any was there a favorite amongst those or was there something you definitely just thought was going um, too far or too cheesy on i work? mean I, I really liked the the tendon one 
and the ripping out of that and and when they went to some of the tight shots of his like hands and his feet it looked i thought it looked really cool um the the makeup on that um you know it did to be fair it did look a bit silly when people were watching him dream and he was kind of just walking around like that <laughs> yeah like, but but I, I but i really like that and the heroin one was kind of cool as well yeah like you said the the terrifying mouths and then just the kind of when he pins her and then their reaction to each other um and his kind of like release and enjoyment was was pretty pretty awesome as we said that was the scene that got it banned in in your hometown in australia, australia for, there you quite go. Some, for quite some time how about you what did you did you have a favorite kill i definitely i'm with you the, the so the tendon scene really works for me i think the practical effects are really good on it and it just feels more right in the vibe mm. uh the tv scene i really don't like yeah um i don't i like it when he's in the just in the tv for a second but when his head comes out the top and you got mechanic that's for me is just uh, it's just getting too goofy uh particularly with the antennae coming out of his head yeah, it, just, yeah. it just looks ridiculous um, and then Robert Englund famously ad-libbed the line, primetime bitch. <laughs> Beginning his long-running history, as we'll see going through the series, of adding the word bitch to the end of every <laughs> sentence he says. Because that's how creative he could be when ad-libbing. Um, the needle one, yeah. It makes me, I mean, it makes my skin crawl a bit. So I guess that works. <laughs> um, and then the souls in his chest, again, I mean, oh, it's all just, about that. it's all ugly horror. Yeah, it is yeah. ugly horror. There's something about the way they're filming it here. This film did have even more money. This was made for $5 million. The last one for three. The first one for one. Uh, well, nearly two. It's it's ugly horror film pretty... I don't say beautifully, but filmed, you know, with some class to it. Mm-hmm. So it's a strange juxtaposition. Again, I do miss with the first one how grimy that stuff felt. I imagine yeah. that scene in the first one with him opening up and all these faces under his, you know, his chest and being, oh... That would make me cruel. Where in this one, it's just I'm looking at them under the well lit, you know, studio lights. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was cool. Uh, what was the other one we said? Um, tongue tied. Tongue tied. Yeah. I mean, mm, not my favorite. That's yeah, right. it wasn't my favorite either. For some it reason, it just felt I don't know. It felt very predictable in what was coming, and yeah. then. It just, I don't know. It just didn't seem that interesting. But this is the point we're getting to, and this is the thing I want to bring up in a second. But but uh, when I'm looking back at the first one and we have, you know, the girl on the ceiling, on the wall in the ceiling, mm-hmm. blood from Johnny Depp's bed, Freddie's face coming out of the wall, mm-hmm. like all these cool, varied, iconic, but sort of not simple to make, but simple to watch. There's no gimmick to them yeah, yeah. other than, you know, just this one idea that they do really well. Mm-hmm. We're getting into the realm here where they're gags. That's what yeah. they are, you know? It's, hey, here's your character. We're going to do a gag against you for your character. Your character seems to have been set up. You're an ex-junkie. Guess how you're going to die, yeah. you know? Um, and that's... It's, for better or worse, that's the, the, the way this is heading um, to the point where we talked about on Friday the 13th podcast, the point where you start vouching, you know, you want Jason to win rather than mm-hmm. the people to win. And this, I feel, is that movie where... I think it's getting us on board with the characters again. Yeah, I would definitely. Like, I, I definitely. They, that whole first group scene where they're together, I think they did uh, a really great job of just like, this is who each person is without yeah. sort of forcing it. And it was like, cool, I like these. Guys. It was an organic environment for people to say, here's my name, here's my yeah, emotional yeah, problem, exactly. and for you to buy that. Um, but yeah, I think it buys you back in in terms of I like these characters, I want them mm-hmm. to win. But by this point, we've known Freddie the longest. And we're here definitely for the inventive kills. Um, and I feel this this film is that real statement of from now on out, you're going to be coming for these inventive kills. You're going to come to see what weird effects we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, the weird ironic ways Freddy likes to kill his victims. And you're either into that or you're not, really. Um, for me, that's always been a sticking point for me with the Freddy films, I think, is that I'm not ever behind him. I'm not. Yeah, yeah. So when it gets to the kills, I can enjoy them for the creativity, but I'm not enjoying the kills. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I'm definitely more behind the characters in this film still. Yeah, no, me too. And I, but I can definitely see that shift now of like what you're saying, where you're starting to get behind Freddy. And I think, I mean, I really liked 
especially coming off the back of the second one, I kind of, I really like how in this one they rebuilt that mythos and an idea of who he was and what he did. But at the same time, the stakes of that, of what he did and who he is, didn't feel as high. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, which is kind of what I want and what I want moving forward. And But, but clearly I know from the sort of cultural impact it has had that he does, it, it doesn't go that way. He mm-hmm. becomes more of like, an, like not an anti-hero, but you back him more. Um, but I mean, I would have loved to have retained that kind of darkness and sinister nature of him and who he was in his real life and, and who he is in this in this supernatural dream world yeah yeah which is he, this is also the film where his i don't know if you noticed but his voice changes completely yeah like because i expected it to be in the second one but it's not it's still deep and guttural as we said mm-hmm. and in this one not once not once is it deep it's just robert england talking i don't know if they affected it before it feels like they did somehow yeah. Uh, warping it a little, bringing it down a few octaves or something. This one, that doesn't seem like anything's been done to his voice. It's way more just, just casual. <laughs> yeah. Um, and a lot higher in tone. And for me, that's the point where it's just, well, I don't find him scary anymore. Mm-hmm. I genuinely, I don't find him scary at all. I find the idea of being scared to go into your dream scary and evocative still. Mm-hmm. But him as a character, I don't find scary anymore. Yeah, yeah. Which is a very strange position to be in you know, in a horror franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, admittedly, you know, I'm growing up, so <laughs> it's probably not <laughs> as scary as it would have been when I was a kid watching them or anything. But even someone, you know, like, again, because I just did them, but the Friday the 13th films, I'm not terrified of Jason or anything, but his evocative scares when he's killing people. Yeah, yeah. With Freddy, personally, it's not scaring me. I'm just more in it for the story and the creativity of mm-hmm. it sort of thing. Yeah, no, I feel the same with that. Um, apparently, there's a lot of uh tension on set as well i'm reading him because of the effects um so chuck russell um this was his uh debut film and the scripts that he and darabont delivered needed a 20 million dollar budget for the effects they were going to do but they only had 4.5 million (laughs) 20 million so they had to make it work 20 million dollar budget with just 4.5 million um and apparently on the fir- on, on Patricia Arquette's first day of filming, the production was so behind that they didn't get her scenes until 4 a.m. in the morning, by which point she'd forgotten her lines. <laughs> so it took them 52 takes. Oh, my God. Of her feebly making her way through it before they simply fed her the lines via cue cards. Jeez. <laughs> um, but that's partly, you know, that's not just her fault. Yeah, yeah. If you get to 4 a.m. and you're stressed out and you make a few mistakes and there's tension on set, things crumble pretty quickly yeah um i just threw away all my notes oh no i didn't know here i'm good (laughs) (laughs) saved um okay what about the other characters so our new characters the kids they all have powers okay so for me i i really overall i really like that concept that it's like let's move away from the street we've got the same problem but I, I really liked the idea of uh, the kids figuring out that they could uh, join each other in their dreams mm. as a means of combating Freddy. But I didn't like the powers part. Okay. That 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 really... I don't know. Right up until the point where they get... They all... The doctor hypnotizes them and then they suddenly realize they're all in the same dream. I was with it all the way, but then when the ball started floating and she's Patricia Arquette starts doing backflips, and uh, old mate Kincaid like bends the chair, I was yeah. like, I just like watching a scene I, from Fantastic Four. Or yeah, something. and then the soundtrack there was particularly bad. Yeah, it, was. it went super like before you mentioned in the other one Disney-ish. That was very kind of like, I mean, he mentions Peter Pan in that scene. Yeah, and then the soundtrack is like almost a compliment to like that. It's like let's have this sort of peter pan magical scene and it was like no that like you completely lost me on that point yeah so for the rest of the film in those bits where they were kind of uh, showcasing their powers uh, i just really didn't like it really really didn't like it it's hard to know where this came from i've read the scripts um in my mind it's very easy to think 
the creator or Wes Craven to put them in on a pedestal and so mm-hmm. all the good things with this came from Wes Craven all the bad things and the other stuff yeah yeah but Frank Darabont's a, you know a talented guy and this other you know, the director is talented as well I know Frank Darabont is a comic book fan um, so I don't know I mean this was 1987 this is a point where comic book films Batman films started to come out you know mm-hmm. people were enjoying that stuff a lot more um, you'd had a lot of films about um psychokinesis and stuff this yeah. was also the year either this year or next year was the year where uh, jason seven came out which was the only one where he was up against someone with telekinetic powers as well it was very in vogue at that point to get into you know teenagers with superpowers essentially yeah. um yeah i'm kind of with you i like the idea they can all enter the same dream i think it's you know for sure a little bit forced they just go oh you used to have this power as a kid guess yeah. what you can do it again okay how did she have that power where did that come yeah. from but i'll go with it you know for the film um they don't play with it enough they only really do it in a couple of scenes in the movie and then yeah everyone having their powers it's just well, why mm-hmm. i like the idea of you're in your dream you have more power anything you, you know you could if you're not scared and you keep your shit together mm-hmm. you can control more things in your dream i like that idea yeah yeah but they don't do that they do well each of you gets one thing <laughs> what's your one thing in your dream it's like why can you only do one thing in your dream Mm -hmm. i can do lots of things in my dreams potentially yeah i mean i can't because i'm kind of just emotionally impotent in my (laughs) dreams (laughs) um yeah so that just really bothered me and that's where it just gets people love this film for that i think they love it because of the comic book side of it for me that's when you lose me completely yeah as a horror film and as a freddy fan absolutely i completely agree that was the point that i got lost as well and that that is no that's the thing that I don't love about this film. Um, because overall, there's so much that I do like about it, especially coming off the back of the second one. Like, I feel that it really brings it back into the, the world of the first one, um, but it still takes it in a, in a different enough direction, but still certainly feels within that universe. And yeah, that just was a bit too... I don't know. I just didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine yeah. um i did like so because i was writing i was thinking about it as i was watching this film because i'm aware you know how much people love this one mm-hmm. and a lot of a lot of people put it above the first one even um it's doing a very different thing so i'm kind of like look i get it if this is more what you want from this mm-hmm. stuff i understand why you might enjoy this one more it's mm-hmm. not particularly for me spoilers for the end of this podcast it's not as much as i like the first one for sure um but and so and it was losing me it was really losing me i was getting bored and partly i don't like things set just in one location when the location's bland and psychiatric wards are so bland Mm -hmm. and unless you have extraordinarily good acting and story like one flew over the cuckoo's nest it's hard to keep my attention in the psychiatric ward film i tend to not watch them just because i know i'm gonna get a little bit bored at some point yeah um so i would have enjoyed seeing them off yeah hunting for her father more that sounds you know a bit more interesting to me but then they got me back momentarily towards the end. Patricia Arquette suddenly wakes up and she's back at the beginning of the film. And oh, it's, yeah, it's the cool. first scene of the movie again. Mm-hmm. And that's when they suddenly got me back. I was like, oh, you're doing something interesting with this. Um, and I don't know where it's going to go. There was actually a really cool effect with her mother's severed head that that's Freddie's right, holding. Yeah. And it actually looked great. Yeah. Because normally those look really bad. Um and then they just go back straight back into what they were doing before and they're sharing a dream and stuff. And I kind of didn't lose interest again, but I was a little bit disappointed because for a moment there, it sparked something in me where I remembered just, yeah, the, the inventiveness of the first one of them, genuinely not knowing where everything's going to go mm-hmm. and not knowing the rules. And I think the problem with this series is as you go through it, they have to stipulate the rules more. Yeah. And as soon as you know the rules, it's less scary. Yeah. I think the first one works for me because it's, eerie and spooky and you don't know exactly what the parameters are of yeah. freddy whereas yeah. this one it seems very clearly defined yeah of what you can do and what you can't do um yeah yeah and i mean that seems like an obstacle moving ahead too because it's it's very clear what the rules are as far as how he functions and and what you can and can't do Yep. in that world um i mean i did like i did like yeah that that jump back to the beginning was cool and i did like how then it sort of split between their stories um and you sort of had each child i guess 
re- or each of them reliving their kind of fear or their yeah or their initial kind of Freddy nightmare. I think I would have liked to go more into that though. I was just I was yeah. just well, if, if we're going to concentrate on these kids, I want to go into their first. Yeah, what happened to them? Like, why did they yeah, get yeah. this way? Or maybe something more personal about the relationship, mm-hmm. you know, with their parents or their friends, but something that gave you more insight into them and made you feel maybe there's some back history with Freddy that made it more interesting. Um, she just comes up with essentially they're all the children of the parents who murdered Freddy, um, which just seems, I don't know. I mean, it makes sense, I guess. Yeah. She makes a mistake as well of saying you are the final Elm Street children, mm-hmm. kids. Like, you're the last of the Elm Street kids which as a sequel writer would worry me <laughs> because we're left with how many at the end of this? You've got three. You've got Patricia Arquette. Kincaid. Kincaid. And, and the Wiz- no, the Wiz- guy's dead. There's Joey. Joey, the mute yeah. guy yeah. who they rescue. Mm-hmm. But he should technically have a scar on his chest saying, come, was it come get me, bitch? Or something, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should. Um, so how about then... <laughs> the uh, stop motion animation Freddy skeleton the, the battle between man cop and Jason and the Argonaut skeleton yeah <laughs> in a junkyard by a Cadillac I mean for me it was it would have been enough for me if it was just the cars going crazy mm-hmm. and like stuff falling down and trying to block them or squash them or whatever yeah, the skeleton Freddy, although well choreographed that scene with yeah. the actors, uh, um, which I which I appreciated and was kind of surprised by. Um, yeah, it was a bit. And again, I don't know if if this kind of criticism of it is because of the film being over twenty years old mm-hmm. and just looking bad. So I don't know if if my judgment's coming from that perspective or if it's just. Or if I just didn't like it as a as a kind of set piece, which I think is more where I'm leaning towards. I'm a fan of the stop motion stuff. Um, I find it very endearing. I'm trying to now that you said that. I'm trying to imagine how they do it now and how it would look. It just makes no sense. It yeah, just yeah. doesn't. I don't understand how he could suddenly interact with the real world environment anyway. But then to yeah. come to life in his bone form, I was just what the fuck is happening right now? Yeah. I no, I don't understand what's happening. It's hilarious, so I'm on board, but I don't get this um, either narratively or just 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 to do with the law. Yeah, that's it. Because I thought he can only he can only terrorize ch- children or teenagers in their dreams. I think, but, or can he still? I think he just picks on teenagers, right? Um, and there's been a lot of talk about why. Obviously, the reason why is because teenagers sell slasher films. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, he would be following his old motif, which is just talking children the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I think he, uh, uh, they tend to do that. He doesn't want the adults to know that the teenagers are telling the truth because then the adults will intervene and actually stop stuff. Right. So that's why he doesn't tend to go into adult streams, I think. But this isn't a dream. This is real life. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Um, and it's really goofy, but you know, uh, the problem is it's hard to be angry with these movies for the things I don't like about it because that is what this movie is. This movie is a comic book movie mm-hmm. with dumb, goofy things that happen in it. And I'm fine with that. It's just not the Freddy I want to see, but I mean, it does it. It's fun. Yeah. It's fun and weird. Very weird. <laughs> I like his little dance at the end of that scene. Yeah. The fact that he's just like... There's a celebration and then dissolves and then kind of goes straight into the dream is like, were you waiting? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I just come back from dancing. <laughs> really weird. Um, and a fun game you could do with this film is the doctor who's a, who's in that scene and in most of the film. Any scene when he's not talking and he's just in the background, watch him. <laughs> watch his reactions to other people acting. It's phenomenal. Yeah. He's yeah, so it's bad. Great reactions. He's 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 so bad at just when he's not talking. <laughs> it's brilliant. Um, yeah. Then you get the fake out with John Saxon dying, which is horrible until you find out it's Jason. Sorry, not Jason, Freddy. Uh, where her father dies and then comes to her in these twinkly lights, oh, and you're just, awful. oh my god, what have they done? I've crossed over to the other side. Princess, he calls her princess. princess. It's horrible. But then you, it's Freddy, and you're like, okay, mm-hmm. I guess, I guess. <laughs> Um, so Nancy dies. You fine with that? 
Yeah. So we're ready for it to die. Yeah, I I felt there wasn't really much more for her narrative to go anywhere, really. What else could she do? Yeah, dead. See you later. <laughs> That's what happens when your shoulder pads are too dead. big. They weigh you down. Dad's you dead. You can't run. Um, um, how about the nun, uh, the ghost nun who keeps turning up? A, how do you feel about her turning up and imparting wisdom? And B, do you like the new back history to do with, with Freddy and where he came from? Um, I thought it was interesting how much they really, really pushed the religious and supernatural themes in this one. Like it's very religious. Yeah, like really, really heavy compared to. I mean, the first one. There's no, nothing other than the whole kind of dream supernatural element, but the, there's no kind of. The only religious bit is is the first time you see him. Well, just before the first time you see him, before he pushes his face against the wall and leans oh, over, the cross. there's a cross on the wall and he, he pushes it off. Or yeah. you presume he does because it flips off. Something. Yeah. That's the only religious bit you think you think you get. In the first yeah. One. So it was interesting in this one that they really, really pushed those kind of themes. Um, so the spooky nun, I... <laughs> I kind of liked it. I don't know why. I just liked that. I mean, it was so deliberate in a way and so obvious, you know, she's like giving him all this advice and then she turns and returns around, she's gone and, you know, this very sort of like guiding spirit sort of thing. But, but there was something about it that I liked and I liked, I liked even in the sort of hammy forced kind of way, uh, the way that she kind of pushed a bit of that backstory and I, and I, and I appreciated that end reveal that she was Freddie's mom. Yeah. Just in a kind of... Oh, otherwise it'd be bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> it'd yeah. It'd be dreadful. Yeah, and I, and I like that in that it just sort of kind of layered the universe a bit more. Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I liked it. I, I like Freddie's backstory. I think it, you know, makes more sense to... I mean, it's different because I like in the first one, it's just where he's a creepy guy and mm-hmm. he did these horrible things. Now he's a monster, which makes him more a horror legend, you know? Yeah, Given that yeah. story of, well, that's comic book origin story. That's what that mm-hmm. is. You know, she was raped hundreds of times. It means, well, they created a unique monster rather than a regular human being who yeah, happened yeah. to be a monster. So it's a different type of horror. It's not as realistic. It's more comic booky. I'm all for that. I like them building a lore around him. I, I hate the nun, but this is what I mean, is everything I hate about this movie, you take them out of this movie, and this movie is so dull. Like, yeah. you take her out, and immediately, not only do you not have any expositions, so, you know, she was very necessary for the writers. Such a lazy way to do it, really, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. very necessary. But you take her out, and all these scenes are less interesting and weird, and you take her out, yeah, the, the bad kills her, I don't like, and it's less interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's You take away their superpowers, and it's kind of less interesting. I still think there's a great movie they could have done without any of those things, but they're on this road. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, well, I don't like her. But she fits in the goofy, weird world that we're in. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm finding it very. If you can't tell, I'm finding it hard to judge this film. Um, okay. So I think we're right. I think we've. Have we said everything we want to say? Yeah, I think we covered most points. Um, Checking your notes. Well, well, one thing that I thought was. Um, one of the doctors mentioned in the room and she's like, they're just dreams. They're dreams. They're not, uh, they're based on guilt and yeah. uh, overt sexuality, yes. which I thought was such a funny label because that seems to be the theme of most slasher films. Is yeah. it not like it's projected about like teenagers and their yeah. overt sexuality and the kind of consequences of, of that. Yeah. So I thought that was really funny yeah, it was in that like sense a, of like kind of labeling. And not to the genre. Yeah. In terms yeah. Of, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was quite unique. Uh, well, not unique, but I just thought it was interesting. Yeah. In a kind of nod, like you said. Um, but yeah, I think we've covered. We also anything. introduced Hypnosil in this one, as we said earlier which will be popping up again a mm-hmm. few times in the series. So that's kind of an important new bit of the the lore. I thought it was interesting that the doctor had to look that up, what it was. Yeah. But I mean, obviously that's to feed the info back to the audience. But then later when he tells the other doctor, she's like, I know what it is. <laughs> He's yeah. like... Well, I didn't. I had to, I had to Google <laughs> it before Google was invented yeah. on my awesome computer, which yeah. is, his computer is great. As well. All right, then, Alex. 
beginning to the end. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you the question then. Do you yep. recommend to people that they see the Dream Warriors? Uh, absolutely. I I really, really liked it. I thought it was, again, for the first half, a bit like the second one, I was just really invested in it. I thought the opening was great, um, really dark in tone. Like I said at the start, felt a bit more grown up to me. Um, uh, and that's really just coming back off the second film. I think they really kind of grabbed the essence um, from the first one, although it's it's not as kind of accomplished and controlled as the first one. I think they, they grabbed at least that sort of spirit and essence of it and kind of started taking that in a new direction. Yes, there's bits that don't work. There's terrible bits of the soundtrack. There's some questionable choices um, in the overall direction. But I really liked it. Yeah. I really liked it. Okay. Um, yeah. How about so you? is it your second favorite at the moment or do you like it more than the first one? That's uh, the no, the first one still is the benchmark for me. Um, but this is easily, easily above the second. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. I'm writing down your list. So when okay. we get to the end, we already have a good idea of where you're, See where, you're, where you're placing them and then you might shuffle them around at the end, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to recommend it, but with some caveats to it. Like, So for me, this is a film where there's... So I like Patricia Raquette in this. She's not the best actress, but I like her role in this. Future I like, Oscar winner. Future Oscar winner, as you reminded me. I can't, fucking, I can't believe that. <laughs> um, I, I like her most from True Romance. That's probably my favorite Patricia Raquette role. I love Helda Langenkamp coming back. I think she's really bad in this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, for everything I like, there's something I really don't like. I'm from the same place. I like that they can inhabit each other's dreams. I don't like what they do in each other's dreams. Um, I like some of the kills. I hate some of the other kills. I don't like the progression of Freddy. I like some of his lore. Mm-hmm. I'm really struggling with this movie. There's some good talent there. It's great to see these faces that we know as well that are familiar to us. Yeah. Um, but I just, I don't, I think personally, I don't like this movie. I'm happy to watch it. It's certainly not, it's, it's not dull movie at all. I got bored in a couple of places, but then it brought me back enough to keep me going. It makes sense more as a sequel. It seems definitely more thought out in a way. I think it's buried in too many ideas. Um, and it doesn't resonate with me personally, but I understand why people really like it, mm-hmm. which is weird. Cause I'm a big comic book fan. So you think I'll be really down for this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But I'm a good comic book fan. (laughs) And I think this is a bad comic book movie. Yeah. Um, So I'm going to recommend it. I definitely think it's better than the second one. You know, less... I have a weird respect now for the second one. Um, I think it's a better film than the second one. You can tell Wes Craven's hand is in parts of this. Obviously, it's hard to know exactly which parts. I'm happy to see Heather Langkamp's story kind of finished even mm-hmm. though I don't like how they finish it. Um, so yeah, I'm going to recommend it, but I personally don't like it very much. Yeah. There's a mix. There's a mix. Recommend. I hear you. It's... Um, but yeah. I think more, I think a lot of people, you know, I think a lot of people will enjoy this movie as they do. So you were saying before, this is a lot of people's favorites. A lot of people, it's their second or their first favorite Oof. nightmare film. Be interesting to um, see where this goes. Yes. <laughs> so next week, uh, so this film just uh, sorry, out of interest, we already said it cost five million, the most by far that any of them cost, but it made nearly double. It, co- it made forty-four million dollars, which is about double what the others have made. Um, so it did incredibly well and proved that there was a lot more. There's still to life come. in Freddy yet. Yeah. So it, immediately they fast tracked the next one. Came out next year, Nightmare on Elm Street Four, The Dream Master. So we'll be tackling next week. We hope you're watching these along with us at home because it's a lot more fun that way. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we are, we are Tessellate. We are Tessellate with two S's, two L's. You go to our website and you can link out to these podcasts. Uh, we do a bunch of other retrospectives on horror films and we do a weekly show just called Geeks. Geeks. We talk about movies, talk about video games, all the topical stuff like that. Um, but if you go to our website, you can link to all that. You can link to all our social medias and you can watch our movies because we make movies. We're a production company, run out of LA, run out of London, run out of Tokyo. Tokyo. We're in the middle of making our first feature film right now, Starfish. Starfish. And developing a whole bunch of other stuff, including web series. Stuff. <laughs> That's my favorite one. I love the, I love the stuff film. Um, 
You can follow me on all social medias, Mr. Al White. You can follow my friend over here. At Alexander Chard on and Twitter and Instagram. Until next week, whatever you do, don't fall asleep. Bye. We're out.